If you have your Bible, let me encourage you to keep that open to Joshua chapter 2. Uh, we will be making our way uh, at least a good portion through that particular chapter this evening. We had made mention of this earlier this morning, but for you who may not have been here or those who may have forgotten, if you have a need throughout the next couple of weeks, whether it be groceries or medicine or, or anything like that, if you will give me or Michael a call here at the office, uh, we'd love to go get that for you. We'd love to deliver that to your home for, uh, obviously for a nominal fee. No, we will do that just because we love you and we want to be able to help you in some kind of way. So if you, are, if you in, just need something or just want to call up here and talk to us, just come on and call. We would love to be able to do that. Also, there's going to be a Youth Devo uh, this Friday night at the McKee's house. And as far as I know, Matt's not looking at me. As far as I know, that's still on. As long as it's not raining. So uh, unless something crazy happens and it just becomes a flood, if that's the case, if it does rain, we're going to postpone that till the week after. So it'll either be the 20th or the 27th. So keep that uh, in, your, in your minds. Oh, I need one of these, don't I? I told you earlier when we began this particular study that I forced myself on Michael, and I did because he was mentioning it to, to uh, Angela in the office and I overheard it. I overhear a lot of things, but I overheard this one and I thought, I want to get in on that. The title of the theme sounded so good, I wanted to get in on it. So what does the Bible say about fill in the topic? Tonight we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible say about the unwinnable soul? Notice this. Let's suppose for a moment that she walked in the back door, or perhaps that's the front door. And she walked in in her work attire. How many of us would be even ashamed to talk to her? How many of us would kind of go to the other exit or down the other hallway just so we wouldn't have to deal with her? How many of us would get in smaller groups and Kind of talk about her. You know, she was here. And God forbid it got out in town that she was here. Maybe the folks in town would say, you guys do know she's a prostitute, right? What a bad situation we would be in if she came here. How awful would it look to the folks around us? And God would obviously not be pleased. We can't have her here. You know, this is a place for, well, for her. This is a place for sick folks. This is a spiritual hospital. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 19, it's, it's not the, those who are well who need a physician, but, but those who are, are sick. But I will guarantee you, as much as I know about people, 
if she walked in the door, whether we said anything or not, deep down inside we'd have a little bit of a weird feeling that she was here. Rahab. Rahab. She's described through Scripture as Rahab the harlot. There's not a lot of people who are described with their job title. You and I may be an exception. Hey, preacher, let me ask you this. Hey, preacher, let me ask you that. Rahab the harlot. Don't get her confused with Rahab, the lady down the street that sells textiles. The lady down the street that sells goat milk and goat cheese. Don't get her confused with that. This is Rahab, the harlot. And they knew, you knew exactly who they were talking about and where she lived. Imagine that. Everybody knew where Rahab's house was. Now, is, is she so lost that God cannot save her? Look at her job, look at her lifestyle, look at who she is, look at who she hangs out with. Is, is she so lost that God cannot reach her? I'd, I would urge you to look at Matthew chapter 1. Mentioned first in verse 5, and she's mentioned there with four ladies in the genealogy of Christ. One was raped, one was a harlot, and one was a Canaanite. That's a bad list to be on. By the way, Rahab the harlot here would be the grandmother to one by the name of David, the king. She's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. That's right. Hebrews chapter 11. You know the, the, the one, the chapter that deals with all those who are faithful? She's mentioned right there. Rahab the harlot. Once again, was not Rahab justified by faith? Oh my goodness. Was she so unwinnable that nothing could be done to save her? As we look at this unwinnable soul tonight, we're going to focus in on Rahab and try to apply the things that would work in her situation to Hot Springs, Arkansas. Let's see if we can do that. First, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 2, uh, we have read earlier, but let's read one more time. Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shedem two men to spy out secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and they came to a harlot's house named Rahab, and they lodged there. It is possible to take the Hebrew word for harlot and also use the phrase or the idea innkeeper. Now, Number one, in order to do that, still does not take away from her primary job. It just meant she had several rooms for rent and for a nominal fee, prostitution would come with that. These two men who were sent out by Joshua to spy out the land decided to lodge in her house. And I'm going to say this, it's providence that they stayed there. Here's why. It would not have been 
unique or strange to the folks in Jericho to see strange men in Jericho in, uh, in Rahab's house. They were kind of blended in. It also would have not been strange to see foreign men in, Jer- in uh, Rahab's house. They kind of would have blended in. But the, prophet, uh, the province that confronted her was the same province that confronted the woman at the well. Look in the, uh, John chapter 4. When Jesus says to her, go get your husband. And she said, I, I, don't, I don't have a husband. The one I am living with is not my husband. He said, you, you rightly said so because you've had five and this one right here ain't one of them. Look at Acts chapter 8. The eunuch stops this chariot this preacher gets on with a name Philip. And Philip says, do you understand at all what you're reading? And that eunuch say, not really. Can you explain it to me? And he goes from that point in time and preaches unto him Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 10. Peter is confronted with the fact that he's a racist. That's right. You find that in the Bible. He's a racist. He thinks and and understands in the Jewish mindset that the Jewish race is superior to every other race. And when he is confronted with uh, the the providence, when he gets to Cornelius' house, his question to the folks around him is, can anybody think of a reason why we should not baptize this man? And he's not saying that to, to be one who would say, I'm all on board with baptizing Cornelius. I think what he's saying is, please, somebody come up with something so we don't have to baptize him. Let me tell you something about these three folks. Until this providence of God confronted them with the truth, they were all unwinnable. They were all lost. The woman at the well was lost. Eunuch was lost. Peter, even as he's preaching right there, was lost. And it's not until you and I are are confronted with the providence of God that we have an opportunity to get out of the sin that we're in. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? There was a day, and I don't know exactly where it was when, when this day happened for you, that someone sat across a table like this and taught you the gospel and you said, oh, yeah, that's me. If that day never happened, you're still lost. Aren't you glad that the providence of God saw fit to teach you the gospel? Why lodge there? Because they wouldn't be seen. Notice this. Notice what she heard. From Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, uh, we're going we're gonna to cut down to verse number 9. Or let's start at 8 anyway. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and your terror is fallen upon us, and all that inhabit the land is faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you, that came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, and that were on the other side of the Jordan, and Shion, and and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. 
For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. The things she is saying there and the way she is presenting herself to these spies ring a definite bell, at least in my mind. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is also the evidence of things not seen. She, she couldn't pick the, the, the army of Israel out of a lineup. She didn't know who they were. She didn't know who the commanders were. She didn't know what they looked like. But what she did know is everywhere they placed their feet, they took over. And she knew by the line she could follow that Jericho was next. And everybody else in that city knew the same thing. Here's what she says. Listen, we got scared to death and we're not even ready to fight. Every, every ounce of courage we have has melted out of us and, and, and you can come in here and knock us over with a feather. Is that not faith? The evidence that she had is, is convicting her. She has an opportunity to stay with God's people. She has an opportunity to see the evidence of what God can do. Just as we were looking at this morning, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, those men, when that evidence convicted them, they said, what can we do? How do we appease the wrath of God? When she saw that the evidence convicted her, in verse number 12, she asked for mercy. Notice verse 12. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show kindness unto my father's house, and, and give me a true token. Make me a true promise. Make sure that we are seeing eye to eye, and you're not going to crawfish on the deal, and take over the entire city, and kill us too. Jericho, the city with walls, the, the city that's fortified the, probably the best in Canaan, the, the city that, that should not be overtaken. She's making a plea deal to get out of the, the utter destruction. Think about this for a moment. As this army begins to march down the road to Jericho, they are leaving a wake behind them of utter destruction. Animals, women, children, men, God said, get rid of it all. Now, they don't do that so well later on in the book, but right now they are leaving that swath of destruction right behind them. Why would Jericho think they're any less? The evidence that confronts her, she realizes here, Israel's going to win. They always have. Everything she knew about history and they didn't seem to be any different. The evidence that she had of God convicted her. Notice this. Were there any results from that? Is there any results from confronting someone and, and having them be convicted of sins? 
Sure there is. You look from chapter 2, verse 10, through chapter uh, 2, verse number 12, what you're going to see is the conversion of the mind of Rahab and then the saving of her family. What does she say? She doesn't say your little G-God or, or one of your gods can, can save you or one of your gods is better than one of our gods. She says, the Lord your God is God of heaven and of earth. What does that mean? In, in realis- realistically, in the, in the Hebrew tongue, that means there is nothing superior to God above the stratosphere and there is nothing superior to God from the atmosphere to the core of the earth in any direction. Brethren, listen. Are you ready? This same mathematic equation redeems mankind today. The same exact one. Once we confront people and show them what, and we're not confronting them in a, in a, in a territorial way. Once we show them what truth is, I needed three C's, that's why I used confrontation. Once we show them what the truth is, the real truth, not the truth of the day, not, not what could be true or what may be true, and once they believe that truth, what truth? That there is a God, that His Son was sent for us, and that he redeemed us out of our sins if we're obedient to him, once they believe those truths, they'll do whatever the Bible says. It's conversion. That's how it works. Teach them the truth, allow them to be convicted by that truth, and they'll be converted. Must be easy. That's just the way they stay, right? No, we can't stay there. Everybody's got to have a beginning, right? Confrontation and conviction to conversion leads to babies. And the babies need to grow. Babies in the Spirit. Here's what she said, because of God. Because your God. Because your God is the true God. Now notice what she says here in verse 13. She says this, You saved me alive and my mother and my brethren and my father and my sisters and all that I have and deliver our lives from death. And they answered here, her, our lives for yours. Stop. We don't, we don't use that phrase very much anymore, but here's what they're saying. We will make a pact with you on our very lives. Now, a lot of times people will say things like that and, and not really mean them. In this time period, if Rahab and her family would have died, I have no, I have no regrets saying that these soldiers would have fell on their swords and killed themselves. We will save you and we will work to save you just as much as we would work to save our own lives. We'll make a promise with you. And guess what? They haven't checked once with Joshua to see if this is okay. Not yet. But what they were going to report is, Joshua, this is what we said. And he said, because you've made that a pact, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to save her because you said we were. Turn over to Joshua chapter 6 for just a moment. In verse number 25. Did it work? Verse number 25. 
And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot, once again alive, and her father and her household, all that she had that dwelt in Israel, even unto this day. Notice this phrase, even unto the day that this book was written. She was saved by the nation of Israel. But was she saved as a, as a child of God or was she just saved as a prisoner of war? What about today? Don't folks need to know what truth is? We are doing the world a great disservice to say, well, I mean, listen, we know, we know going to this place or that place ain't right, but that's what they want to do. You know what we're saying to them? Just go on and go right to hell. We don't care. That's what we're saying to them. And instead of telling them, this is what the Bible says. Preacher, they get mad. What they do? I understand that. You're not the only folks with family members. That happens in preachers' homes too. Not in our immediate home, but it does happen within our family. Well, they get mad. Well, they do. We used to sing a song entitled, You Never Mention Him to Me. Y'all remember that song? Mm-hmm. You know, the whole premise of that song is, is waiting in line for our time before the judge on that judgment day and having someone in line look down there and say, You, you never even mentioned him to me. What, was I not good enough? What was wrong with me? Why didn't you try to save me? Look here and listen. And when that happens, it's a valid question. What's wrong with them? What, they're not good enough to be in our club? They're not good enough to be loved by the Lord? them the truth. Allow the evidence of God to convict the soul. Just do that. God doesn't say, in order to obtain heaven, you have to have X amount uh, percentage of people taught and people obey. You know what God says to do? Teach it. I'll worry about if they obey or not. You just go out there and teach it to them. That's what he tells us to do. Then when the lost hear the truth and understand the truth, when they're face to face with the evidence of God and who He is and what He's done, when they're convicted of that and they're converted, then they'll be converted unto God's way. Is there an unwinnable soul? The answer is yes. Sort of. The answer of yes is the unwinnable soul is that one that you and I refuse to teach. Now, I understand that there are those who will say, what about that one who decides not to obey? That he knows the truth. He knows what God expects. He has an opportunity. The one that's unwinnable, who has no opportunity, is the fruit of me not doing what God said to do. And this might hurt your feelings a little bit, but... It's also the fruit of you not doing what you're supposed to do. Mr. Charlie Parker back here knows more folks than I do in town. 
Those are a different group of folks than I do in town. That's good. They may or may not listen to me if, if Charlie tells them to. Do you know who they will listen to? Their friend who cares about them. Your friends may not care at all what I say. But I'll guarantee you this, your true friends will care about what you say. There was a congregation back home in Glencoe, Alabama that has over the back of their uh, doors going out. You are now entering the mission field. Seen them where they say you're now entering the harvest, you're now entering this, you're now entering that. That's a good thing for us to keep in mind. Jesus would say that the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What does the Bible say about an unwinnable soul? That's the one we don't teach. Because we've decided to take a break or retire. You know what the problem with that idea is? As you and I look through the inspired Word of God and we look through all 66 books and we comb it just as finely as we possibly can, you won't find a single verse in there that says this is the age where the Christian retires and he can just hang out and slide on into heaven. This is the point at which a Christian takes a break. Jesus would say, there's a lot of fruit out there to pick. The unwinnable soul is a reflection on the unworkable church. We don't want to be that. We don't want to stand before God like that. We want to stand before God as a faithful congregation, as individual faithful Christians, as a strong congregation for the Lord, a strong outpost in a world that's dark. Friend, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, why not? Why not believe what he has to say? Repent of your sins, confess that Jesus is the Christ, and be baptized today. Why not? We always need a few more pickers. Brother or sister, if you're falling down on the job, come on back. We always need pickers. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing. When we walk with the Lord.